Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. A Christmas election is averted. The government comfortably wins its confidence motion in Justice Minister Helen McEntee by 83 votes to 63 in what was a predictably testy exchange of views. Removing the Justice Minister and the Garda Commissioner would be a victory for those who engaged in violence and incited violence on our streets. In any other walk of life, in any other organisation, the person presiding over such a colossal failure would be sacked. We ask, has Sinn Féin miscalculated in bringing the motion or has Fine Gael's image as law and order party been damaged? Plus two referendums to be held next year on constitutional references to family and to care. But what impact will they have? I'm pleased to announce that we now intend to hold two referendums on the inclusive concept of the family and the recognition of family care on International Women's Day in 2024, Friday the 8th of March. And the COP28 climate summit continues in the United Arab Emirates with a record number of fossil fuel lobbyists. Is there still hope for keeping 1.5 alive? The government has won its confidence motion in Justice Minister Helen McEntee over her handling of last month's riots in Dublin. Well, the motion passed by a margin of 20 votes as TDs ultimately rejected Sinn Féin's call for her to step down. I'm joined by Minister of State and Fine Gael TD for Dublin Rathdown, Neil Richmond. Sinn Féin TD for Dublin Fingal, Louise O'Reilly. Journalist and broadcaster, Alison O'Connor and political correspondent with The Business Post, Daniel Murray. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, I want to come to you first, Louise O'Reilly, because it was Sinn Féin that tabled this um, motion of no confidence in the Justice Minister. And we heard from the Taoiseach today that it was a political stunt. It was unnecessary. It was counterproductive. Um, A stunt, if successful, is a coup. But this fell flat for Sinn Féin. I don't think it did. Um, I think it's important that the, as the lead party of opposition, we hold the government to account. That is our role. It's a job we take very seriously. Uh, we don't have confidence in uh, Minister McEntee. Um, we don't, uh, and the last, the events of the last 12 days have done absolutely nothing um, but decrease the amount of confidence that we have in that minister. We had no choice but mm-hmm. to move a motion of no confidence. It would be patently ridiculous for a political party to express no confidence and not to use their dull time um, to, to move that motion of no confidence. In any event, it was superseded by a government uh, confidence motion, as is often the case with these things. Um, but when you don't have confidence in a minister as a political party, most especially the party that leads the opposition, um, you, you do, that's what you do. You hold the government to account. We don't have confidence in, in this minister and uh, we express that today in the Dáil. OK, but a very comfortable win for government here. I mean, the question is, and it was criticised as a distraction, um, the, the counter motion passed with ease by a margin of 20 votes. 
Was it a political miscalculation? Absolutely not. No, as I said, we are the lead party of opposition. We don't have confidence in this minister. We moved that motion. We gave pe people an opportunity. Uh, if they wanted to, bear in mind, most of the opposition voted uh, against the government's confidence motion. They don't uh, have the Labour Party. The Social Democrats mm. don't have confidence in this minister either. All right, but you didn't expect it. Did you expect it to be as comfortable as it was in the end? I mean, that was the prediction and that's exactly how it played out. That was the prediction, uh, as you're right, but, uh, you know, that whatever the, the outcome, we gave people an opportunity to either state that they have or they don't have confidence in this minister. We don't have confidence in Minister McEntee, mm -hmm. a minister who patently refused to acknowledge that control was lost in Dublin City Centre on the 23rd of November. A minister, when you talk to people, retailers, workers in the city centre, they say they've been crying out now for months. We've seen a lot of high-profile incidents, not just in Dublin City, but particularly in Dublin City. And the minister has presided over this all the while. She tells us that the streets of Dublin are safe when all of the evidence right. contradicts that. How could okay. you have confidence in that minister? OK. Um, Sinn Féin did call this motion of no confidence, Neil Richmond, after possibly the worst riot that we have seen in decades where the threat of far-right actors, um, someone would say, wasn't addressed the resources inadequate to cope. The government has admitted that lessons will be learned here. But as we heard from the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou Macdonald, earlier, in any other organisation, the person responsible for such a failure would be sacked. We believe in accountability in this government, but this motion wasn't about accountability. Louise rightly says that she doesn't have confidence in Helen McEntee. She didn't have confidence with her in her 18 months ago when she voted against her. Sinn Féin have tabled countless amounts of confidence motions in this government. It is political play-acting and something. And what I was struck by, Claire, today wasn't any comments actually from the government benches or from the Sinn Féin benches, but it was the comments from um, Violet Ann Wynne, a former Sinn Féin TD, who said this was a phenomenal and colossal waste of time. Rather than actually talking about what happened Thursday a week ago, what was leading up to it, the response both in terms of a tragic attack on a school, the riot and the damages of done, instead we had political points going back and forth. And I have spent the last 10 years... Well, did a lot of that. We defended our minister and we also shone a light on absolute nonsense and ridiculousness that Sinn Féin was trying to propose themselves. But didn't it bring up key issues? Let, let's just talk about that and we'll, we'll get on to the, the language in a moment. Mm. But didn't it bring up the key issues that you're talking about that, that should be discussed around resourcing Garthi, the failure to tackle low morale in the force, a record number of Garthi resignations, a failure to manage, you know, divisive and violent protests and that responsibility to ensure our streets are safe. And we could have had that debate any other week, but that's not actually what was brought forward by Sinn Féin. Instead, we had Mary Lou Macdonald falsely, falsely claiming that the government had been, hadn't been in contact uh, with the school of the question for two weeks. We had uh, Louise last week brandishing a picture of a homeless person into the doll. It brought out the very worst of the opposition. What I've spent the last 10 days as Minister for Retail doing is going in and out of the city centre and doing what Sinn Féin keeps telling us to do, listening to the retailers, listening to the publicans, listening to the workers who had a horrendous night Thursday a week ago and lost so much business on Friday. And what they want, what they have said to me consistently, Claire, is they want unity of purpose to get people back into the city centre to retore faith and make sure that we have the level of guard of visibility and going accountability, forward. Accountability, perhaps accountability. for another time? Well, we have already had the, the Justice Minister in front of the all twice last week. We had the Guard Commissioner in front of the Justice Committee. The Justice Minister would have made herself available in front of the all today or indeed the committee again. That's accountability, not this play-acting motion, which is just the latest stunt that we've got. Uh, 
Alison, uh, to bring you in on this, you know, it was an opportunity uh, for both parties really like to have a go. There was a lot of mudslinging back and forth, if anyone, you know, watched through the, the course of the debate. But that the key issues, I suppose, of law and order and that those issues of concern were also discussed during the course of that. How did the government come out? Well, I suppose if you look at it in terms of, you know, who has the upper hand after it, uh, it's not Sinn Féin. Uh, I think uh, it was... Um, a poor political decision uh, to table the motion. And I think it's just as was predicted, it gave the government an opportunity to give to give Sinn Féin a kicking. I thought in particular the thonish to Michal Martin when he stood up and said that um, Mary Lou Macdonald, the leader of Sinn Féin, had more opportunities than anybody to raise the issue of the possibility of, of riots, of... of um, of the dangers in uh, in Dublin City of something like this happening, I thought he he did well in terms of political jabs. But in general, the just even the overall atmosphere. If you've watched other confidence motions and ministers, there's normally more tension beforehand. There's normally more um, sort of grit in it. That that really that wasn't there today. And I think in terms of I am fascinated by this idea. And I saw that Louise wanted to come in about. I mean, it was extraordinary. The idea that the government hadn't made contact with the school for two weeks mm. and there were enough, the ministers on the government side were literally jumping up do you know, and down. Do you know what we'll do now? Yeah. I think we have um, a clip there of Mary Lou Macdonald um, speaking about that, which, you know, was a point of contention during the course of this debate when she referred to the school um, at the heart of the story uh, two weeks ago. Let's have a look. It took nearly two weeks for government to reach out to the school community. Many parents tell me that they feel forgotten, vulnerable and afraid. They are angry. Um, they are angry. Now, we heard on a number of occasions that, um, you know, uh, members of government standing up and saying we want you to withdraw this comment, that there was, you know, contact from psychological services the afternoon of the stabbing. Um, Mary Lou Macdonald refused to do so. Why did she not offer clarity on that? And why did she so refuse to withdraw? Uh, OK, so let's be very clear. The um, junior minister, Madigan, claimed that the NEPS service were on site at 2pm. That simply could not be the case. Uh, that, I mean, we had, uh, as, as Neil pointed out, we had the Garda Commissioner at the Justice Committee last week. He told us that it, it was 19 minutes past two before he had been uh, fully briefed on the, on the incident. And yet, Junior Minister Madigan expects us to believe that NEP psychologists were on site at 2pm. That doesn't make any sense. But the simple fact is, Mary Lou Macdonald met with parents. She met with them last week. Uh, the first contact the parents had with the minister was last night. And the Justice but Minister... Neil, Let me finish, because the Justice Minister referred in her remarks to having met recently with the parents. When she says recently, she meant last night. The government has been in constant contact with the school community and the parents. And I just thought this was a ridiculous statement from Larry Lou MacDonald, who sat at a meeting with the Justice Minister when the parents and the school community made it very clear. Firstly, they asked the media not to report from in front of the school. Didn't stop your leader doing a video in front of it. And secondly, the, the, the government services... The government services and the government representatives were there within 24 hours. Not and two weeks, like your leader said in the door. And, and it was members, a really inappropriate she was, she low was blow. She referring to members of your government. No, no, she and said the, the government. Parents, she said the government. The parents were very clear. And said, the parents we will were be very directed. clear. No, no, Louise, let me, you asked to finish your point. I'll finish mine. The parents and the school community made it quite clear 
that what they were advised to do, firstly, is to act like business is normal. They didn't want uh, ministers landing in on them. The government and government ministers, as well as officials, were in constant contact with the school community, with the parents and with the teachers and with those impacted by these horrific events, including the families of those injured instantly, not within two weeks. And to use that statement and to use that school for a political pawn, no, I thought was particularly shocking from the leader. And you're trying to was a desperate act. And it has right. been what has been the culmination of a week of stunts from Sinn Féin that have reached a new okay. low. And, and you should know that, Louise. Equally, Neil, Are you proud claim, that you wave that picture around the door? Are you proud? To claim so what do you that next psychologist, what do you say to that to gentleman's that children who saw you brandish picture at two p.m. is not. Louise, you're not going to answer the question. Are you proud of yourself, as someone of the left who has a social conscience, that you took a picture of a vulnerable man, clearly intoxicated, taken twenty metres from school and waved around in the national parliament? How does his children feel? How does his siblings? It was very. No person was. Will you let identifiable. No person was identifiable in that picture. And what it did, what it did was it symbolised... the. This no, is what greeted the parents when they went to collect their kids. And this that was a sign that there is no visible police presence around that you school. You know, that ultimately, for the show, guard was around the All right, show, okay. Ultimately, a guard was... And the ultimately, it came around here. two minutes Daniel. later. But no, no, that didn't stop you making that a stunt, that. which everyone saw that for what Neil. it was, Louise. And it was Neil has made your point. Daniel, I want to bring you in here. A lot of political point scoring, as we can see. And it is continuing on tonight. It may garner the headline. Lines. But, you know, were there serious issues raised to uh, did it did, did it bring more um, more questions to be answered in the doll today, apart from this confidence in the justice minister on the issue of law and order and how we tackle riots and how we how, how we tackled events of a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, I do think so. Look, a, a motion of no confidence, there's always an element of theatrics to it. And I think even the debate here kind of reflected the debate tonight where it was as bruising, I think, for Sinn Féin as it was for, for Fine Gael, as so many government TDs standing up and really, in some ways, putting Sinn Féin on trial as much as the government was uh, w was on trial, and especially on the issue of, of law and order and, mm. and policing issues, which can be a difficult one uh, for Sinn Féin. But amidst all the political sniping, there were very serious um, issues raised by a, a number of TDs, opposition and, and government TDs, um, ranging from, you know, Garda number, recruitment issues, retention issues, uh, really serious issues in, in, ter in terms of numbers of Garda, being able to retain them, being able to get them in in the first place, um, in terms of resources uh, into Dublin city centre. Uh, certainly Helen McEntee uh, defending um, the work that she has done and that she intends to in reaction to the riots, bringing in facial recognition technology, deploying body cams uh, for police officers in the centre uh, of Dublin city um, in the coming weeks. And then the likes of Gary Gannon as well, making the link between poverty uh, and drug use and crime as well. And, and sometimes these aren't aspects that mm. we always discuss in, in the midst of these debates. So definitely very, very serious um, and substantial issues raised on the floor as well. Uh, what we did see, I suppose, the language used, quite divisive language being used in the doll that sort of overshadowed all of that as well. Uh, there was divisive uh, language used in the doll, uh, we, as we have already heard. Um, there was a lot of calling out of Mary Lou MacDonald's um, mm. uh, a point about, uh, 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 and, and of course the photograph that was raised by uh, Louise O'Reilly and posted by Mary Lou MacDonald during the week. Yeah, you want to come yeah, in there, Alison? I just, I find, I find the dynamic interesting in terms of um, what would you have predicted you know, on the night of the riots. Certainly not that at this juncture Sinn Féin would be on the back foot. Uh, and that's interesting. I think some of the air came out of the balloon in terms of the confidence motion with the Sunday Independent poll on Sunday, which showed the support for Helen McEntee and showed, I suppose, people wanting to go more towards the centre 
towards unity um, after uh, after the riots. And the idea now that even this, I mean, as Louise has explained it in terms of Mary Lou MacDonald and no contact for two weeks, that was an emphatic statement that Mary Lou MacDonald made today as leader of Sinn Féin. But quite clearly, it's, it's unprovable and appears to me to be incorrect. And also in terms of the photograph. So that is very interesting. And if you also even look at Sinn Féin's decline as well in, the, in that poll on Sunday, it is not where I would have expected them to be. So the government won't be at all unhappy with that. And my final point will be, but this all rests on the situation staying as is, that we don't have another protest that, that yeah, gets Neil, out of hand. Neil, would you admit that your party is trying to you know, capitalise on, on that in, in what we heard in the Dáil today, just referring back to the use of language, um, this talk about, you know, Sinn Féin sowing mistrust and sowing division when there has been sort of a cross-party consensus around the issue of immigration, that you're very much drawing the battle lines here now. We got several uh, press statements in from Fine Gael in, in recent days from Colin Brophy, Sinn Féin side with the mob to create instability. Divisive Sinn Féin want to create more instability. Uh, this has always been Sinn Féin's default position, attack the state and attempt to tear it down. And then we heard word of dark, sinister forces today. Like I is there any need for all of that? And are the public just fed up with it? No, I don't think they are fed up with it. And I spent the last 10 days, and one of the first phone calls that Helen McEntee made after the riot was actually to the leader of the opposition, Mary Lou MacDonald, the local TD, and said, this is a community reeling, a tragic attack and a riot on our streets, the likes of which mm. we haven't seen in 17 years. You want to work together with you. And I've been in and out with every single business group, workers group, the Dublin City Council team, every government department saying, well, how do we respond to it? Because the day's trading that was lost the day after the riots, Black Friday, is worth 25% of revenue to so many city centre businesses. How do we come together to use this as a catalyst for change, to take our city back? I know from you're, you're looking for unity and cross-party unity, but you've had the justice brief for 12 years. And we've had the trust of speech for 12 years and we're very proud yeah. of our record. And I'm very proud of the record, particularly of Helen McEntee. Are you proud of the particular record that, that, was, that was brought up there? And is it a bit of a cheap swipe going back in the history books with Sinn Féin? As go government that... tend to always do in these situations, let's Didn't be exactly honest. Didn't exactly have to go that far back. We had to go back to last week and what Louise and Mary Lou did. We also went back to Jonathan Dowdle, which was only a couple of years ago. We didn't go into the depths of history. But we look at I the record mean, of well Helen you well in the you last did. 10 Well, well, you, well, you, went, last well 10 you went back in so far as the Taoiseach talked about Warrington bombings in Enniskillen in the context of a confidence yeah. vote in Helen McIntyre. And absolutely, and we have a duty and a responsibility to do this. But one key point I do want to make, Claire, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you move on, and I apologise for taking too much time, is what we look at Helen's response in the last 10 or 12 days has been exemplary. She's put faith back into the Gardaí, put faith back into our city centre, and we will continue to do that. Okay. Would you like to respond to that, Louise? Yeah. Um, morale in the Gardaí has never been lower. 12 years of Fine Gael Justice Ministers have led us to 500 fewer members of the Gardaí on the beat in Dublin, uh, in Dublin City since just before they took office. So the facts speak for themselves. There are more Gardaí resigning mm. from Angarda Siakana than it, they are resigning in unprecedented numbers. They are going because morale is on the floor. They are going because they don't have faith in uh, is, that is the Is Sinn Féin leaving itself open, open whenever it talks about matters to do with justice? No, absolutely And then that's exposed oh, uh, no, as we saw tonight. absolutely not, because the community that I represent, the community that Mary Lou Macdonald represents, that Owen O'Brien represents, that David Cullinan and McCarthy and all of the people in Sinn Féin, the communities that we represent deserve to be safe, to feel safe, deserve to have safe communities mm. and deserve to have a government who will actually put in place on Garda Siakana people on the streets 
to do the work of policing community guardy mm. that is not being done we saw those failures on display in dublin city on the 23rd of november so we don't make any apology claire for standing up for those communities that we represent and we won't make any apology for demanding safe communities for the people that we represent to live in, to work in, to socialise in, right. to grow up in. That is no less than the people we represent deserve. Um, I just want to go back to correcting the Dáil record because I know that's something you were looking uh, for Mary Lou to do with regard um, to talking about how long she perceives uh, it took for government to reach out to the school. There was also the issue of what uh, Helen McEntee brought up about X and um, the, the social media platform's cooperation um, with the Gardaí and the engagement with the Gardaí. We heard from the Taoiseach today that Minister McEntee has sought a meeting with the platform and what was dis to discuss what was said to her um, by Gardaí because we have Twitter strongly refuting saying it was inaccurate that Gardaí um, did not make any formal request to them until the Monday after when they were appealing um, for around problematic posts in relation to the riots. Yeah, certainly. Um, and it's a difficult one for Helen McEntee um, because she came out with the statement saying that X hadn't uh, engaged. And X come, came out with this very strong statement afterwards saying that they had, that they refuted what, what the minister had said. Uh, and in follow-up um, uh, uh, communications with her spokesperson, uh, it did seem like she wasn't withdrawing uh, the mark, compl uh, remark completely, but she wasn't repeating it, uh, which was something which she had said on, on the floor of the House. So it's something I think in the coming days that she's going to be on further. Certainly on Thursday morning, she's in front of the Justice Committee. And in comparison to the theatrics of tonight, I think you can ex expect a much more clinical examination of her whole response to the riots and the issue to do with X then as well. Um, is that something that uh, Helen McAtee maybe was forced to backtrack on a bit? on that one? No, I think she provided good clarity and as Daniel said, she'll go through it again the Justice Committee. Well, X came out and said this is inaccurate. Well, let's remember what the first thing the owner of X said when the riot mm -hmm. broke out is that Ireland's Prime Minister hates its people. And it took David Cullinan, very thankfully, to correct that. So I would take what X say with a pinch of salt and we will have that discussion and Helen will lay it out clearly. OK, we'll leave that there for now. Time for a quick break. Still to come, a date is set for uh, a referendum on the removal of text relating to the role of women in the home. Do you stay with us. Welcome back to I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Referendums have been set for the 8th of March next year to deal with constitutional references to family 
and care. The first will seek to widen the definition of family in Article 41 of the Constitution, while the second will address the wording in Article 41.2 relating to women's labour in the home. Well, Fine Gael's Neil Richmond, Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly and journalists Alison O'Connor and Daniel Murray have stayed with me to discuss the impact of these referendums. Uh, Daniel, to come to you on this, um, we've touched on it there, that the changing of wording. Uh, take us through the exact changes, what we're, we're going to see and why they are being sought now. Sure. So um, the first is kind of two different referenda that are going to be held on the same day, March 8th next uh, next year. And the first, it proposes to delete Article 41.2 um, uh, uh, of the Constitution, which currently um, reads in part, by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. Um, that's to be replaced with the state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason or the bonds that exist among them give society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. So uh, there's kind of two parts to that. One is to remove what has long been seen as very misogynistic language around the role of, of women in the, whole, uh, in the home, but then trying to replace that um, with something. Um, and this is where the difficulty was kind of posed, what do you replace it with? So what the government have arrived at is, is the provision of care and the importance of carers in the home. Um, the second um, uh, uh, referendum on the same day will be held on expanding basically the definition um, of, of of family uh, and relationships within the constitution. Um, so uh, it will insert the words, whether founded on marriage or on durable relationships um, okay. to extend the priority that's given to, to family life in the constitution. Uh, the government decided not to try to include a new gender equality provision. Uh, why not? Yeah, this was something that was recommended alongside these other two recommendations. Um, and Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach today, was saying that they had, on legal advice, decided not to include it because it would, um, by recognising gender equality in the Constitution, it would elevate that equality above all other forms of equality within the Constitution. And this was, was problematic. But there is a suspicion that part of keeping this out was to try and avoid a debate um, around gender, where difficult issues around defining a woman that have plagued you know, politicians in other countries uh, could come to the fore. So they're hoping to avoid that debate by, by, by doing this. Uh, these referendums, Alison, long overdue, uh, long promised and then parked. Uh, now we're hearing about them today. Will any of it, do you believe, make a real difference apart from, I suppose, the welcome removal of the reference to women in the home, given that, yeah, I know, have to looking say, at the panel here, three yeah, of us certainly aren't. It's a, it's a hallelujah for me to see this day that it's finally being announced. I mean, to see that anachronistic uh, phrase in the Constitution that uh, one imagines it will be overwhelmingly uh, voted in favour of, of, of getting rid of it. I think that for any other um, sort of, be it a law or, or initiative, uh, on the part of, of the government of the state, you know, towards gender equality. And yet you had this in our constitution, our rule book for the country was just an, it was, it was an extraordinary thing for me. So I think that is great. Um, I would worry a little bit about turnout. I know I think it's probably a good idea to have it on International Women's Day for the two referendums to give them perhaps gather more interest. And yet a fear of the government is, as Daniel said, that the debate becomes far too hot, too heated, where uh, we saw, we see it in the US, where it's really politicised. We see it in the UK, um, where you know prominent politicians will be asked, "What is your definition of a woman? Is a trans woman uh, a real woman?" Does that um, come up here, though? 
It, well, into I mean, this, it, yeah, it, into this debate. Well, it's an interesting. It's an interesting thing in that I think you certainly referendum. see a huge amount of it. Well, it's it, it's it, the, in, the that oppor- the ru- in that they're removing. I know the, the gender. Reference the gender reference is taken out, but I think that, that doesn't matter. And if you even go back to our earlier conversation about um, online media, um, Elon Musk, all of that, the right and wanting to politicise things, the trans issue is an absolute gem as far as they are concerned in terms of something, weaponising something. So I think the government will be in fear of this, but I think they will be very surprised if they get through um, the period of the referendum campaign without it becoming an issue. Uh, Yeah, the Taoiseach did talk about, he was concerned about it being hijacked and used to spread misinformation. What in particular is the government worried about, Neil? Well, again, that this becomes the campaign not actually about removing the reference to a woman's place in the home from the constitution or indeed the definition of family, but it becomes the misinformation campaign about, well, what is a family? You know, that whole harking back to the anachronistic view of what is a traditional family, again, bringing in the what is the woman sort of culture war that we've seen bedevil politics in other countries and has really started to nibble around the fringes. Both Louise and I would have got this regularly from the sort of online protesters, the people who shove mobile phones in our face. But the one thing I would point to, Claire, a bit of a light, if we look at a number of the recent referendum we had, repeal the 8th, marriage equality, children's rights referendum, those fears went into those campaigns that they would be particularly nasty. But we managed to get through and people managed to raise the bar a bit to have a tone and tenor of debate that was respectful and it gave a clarity of um, the results. I think the children's rights referendum was one that really swings to mind for me. Again, there was a fear there'd be a low turnout. All the political parties... Was it a great um, turnout, if yeah. memory no, there was. Is that it was, why? No, it wasn't. Yeah, and is this why Neil was stalled politically? That we, you know, we discussed this. It was supposed to happen before the end of the year. And now we're hearing, we well, are hearing next March. But it has been stalled it, plenty no, of times. It's March the 8th and, and, and Minister O'Gorman, Roderick O'Gorman... Yeah, but bring was the, it that difficult? And was it those concerns that we're talking about defining gender and, well, and, and all you, of those issues? I don't know if you remember, there was an issue last year this. where it, this arose from an EU working time directive where we had to change some laws here. Mm. And that our, it, was, it was in the proposed legislation, in our maternity laws, the maternity laws for this state, the word woman was going to be removed. And um, after a campaign, I mean, initially, from what I could read, Minister O'Gorman wasn't for changing, even though we had already come up with some very good language in the abortion legislation as, as it happened. So there was a way around it was found. So, um, you know, th- there's the there's the weaponizing it in ways that you, you can say that are that are, you know, illeg- illegitimate, that they're merely yeah. to cause trouble. And then there are genuine issues okay. uh, Louis- such as that one. Louise, um, I take it you will be supporting this referendum. Sinn Féin will be supporting it. Are you happy with the language that is being used? Yeah, I think we need to ha- have a bit of consideration on the language. Now, I would say I'm absolutely looking forward to having a debate with anyone who wants to keep Article 41.2, and indeed me, <laughs> in my yeah. place. Um, I think that would be a very interesting uh, debate to have. I don't know who those people are who are going to, uh, I don't know where they're going to be dug up or resurrected from that, that will want to keep it. I, I, to me, I, I very much look forward to that being removed. But we need to be very careful that in removing that, I think we're, there's general broad agreement that you know a, a woman's place is wherever the hell she needs to be and should be and wants to be, uh, and that you know the constitution shouldn't interfere with that nor tell us that we should be somewhere that we don't necessarily want to be or need to be. But 
I do think when we look at replacing that, we need to look at uh, how we value care, you know, how we value the caring work that it, that is done and the redefinition of the family. I think that's a, that's an interesting one because time has you know moved on. Families have, have evolved and, you know, families now are very different in structure to when I was younger. And I think that should also be reflected in our constitution. I mean, the question is, um, with this, what difference will it actually make? Because actually Louise mentioning there about family and carers and are there new protections going to be afforded now to family members who care for their loved ones or, you know, how does it actually practically impact on people? Well, that has yet to be seen uh, and uh, the government will obviously make its case during the debate about how this will impact on people and ultimately it'll be maybe eventually tested by the courts if these uh, referenda are, um, are... I mean, does it start posing some tricky questions for government? As in, if you if you say that we will, you know, strive to do all we can, whatever they're going to, whatever we, we are changing so it to... they didn't go for the option yeah. of the citizens Assembly in terms of a proposal is whereby it there would have been um, a financial implication. So the government, the citizens voted that for that in terms of caring. In, in terms of caring. Oh, this is a general in terms of recommendation from the citizens' assembly. Yeah, that would have been the implication. There was a recommendation for a, for a wider definition of carer within uh, the home, whereas what they've gone for is carer within the family. And but that could still have implications. There are many people who are looking after mm. elderly loved ones, you know, children with disabilities, who are carers in the home who may not feel fully supported by the state. And possibly this will um, endow them with new rights that will be vindicated by the courts at some stage. And I think the government in the process of the debate will probably have to answer some of those yeah. questions in advance and maybe even will bring forward policies in tandem. Yeah, and, and we know, Neil, that many um, family carers feel very unsupported by the state. Um, you only have to look to this programme, other programmes, uh, and so many, you know, issues that they've highlighted around getting care for their loved ones, mm -hmm. being supported in doing so, that they're taking on a lot of burden of the state and they're not being rewarded accordingly. So is this co a constitutional change potentially a wake-up call for government too? Well, I think for us it's, it's a constitutional change that is long long overdue and it is a recognition that care comes from many different people and it comes in many different forms and yes that care and taking on that care is extremely onerous for the person who provides that care or that family unit and it doesn't necessarily have to be a biological family member and this is what we want to get to the key point of changing what the definition of family is this is moving to not just modern time vernacular but it has serious consequences particularly when we think of immigration law and proving that someone is family member or family reunification, this will allow that to be accommodated as well. So we're keeping up to space with other uh, communities. Because you're talking about durable relationships. Absolutely, as this, yeah. Is this marriage as well? I mean, Marriage sorry. is one thing, but you know, you don't have to be married to be in a family. You know, and this and is the, the respect and family isn't always... Although, a, a although an interesting point as well is that marriage, uh, the special place of marriage is still being kept mm. in the constitution mm. as well. And, and the Taoiseach was asked about this today because uh, potentially the changes to the definition of family could have repercussions for pension entitlements or tax entitlements, which obviously mar married couples have different to, to unmarried couples. But he said, no, that the, the, the special recognition of marriage within the constitution will remain, which will allow the government to continue to positively discriminate in, in relation to marriage and provide what about is there special recognition too for durable relationships? I mean, is that uh, does that does that come into play too? And does that have potential consequences or benefits to those who are not married? 
I don't think there would be any benefits to those who are not married. I think the uh, sorry, I think that there, the that there may be there may there be any damage to people who are married. I think there there may there may be some consequent benefit, but we do need to have a look at it. But I mean, it's worth saying, Claire. There's nothing in the Irish Constitution at the moment that precludes the government from valuing uh, carers. They don't need to feel abandoned by the government the way they do. the Constitution's not preventing that. And I sincerely hope that if we are going to have a debate about carers, about caring, and about that uh, that very often unpaid role that when we do so, it's not simply a case of, you know, we'll, we'll look at carers and then the government will turn their back on them again. Because as it stands, there's nothing in the constitution that says they can't value carers. In fact, that could be done now. And you talk to carers, that's what they will tell you. They don't feel valued. They don't feel listened to. And they do feel like the, the government have turned their back on them. Mm. A change in the constitution, I don't believe is going to change that. A change in policy, a change in focus. And, you know, if I'm honest, a change in government is probably the only thing that will change that. And some would say if you didn't have to take the reference of women in the home, out and replace it with something else, then, you know, the government might be happy enough not to talk about this as a constitutional matter. No, I think the government very much wants to talk about it as a constitutional matter in terms of removing the reference to women in the home, first and foremost. Certainly, but on the issue around uh, carers and those who feel let down by the state. No, I think we should talk about it. And there are some people, of course, who feel let down. And on a practical level, when we said that, you know, payouts to carers... That, uh, that, was, that recommendation was not being taken up by government, although they, you know, obviously yeah, wanted we, to bring in we're not a taking change up in wording in a, in to a the constitutional point of view. Care doesn't have to be defined by a financial uh, remuneration or a payment. Care comes in many forms and is rewarded in many ways and is recognised in many ways. It needs to be recognised in a lot more ways by the government and we've done an awful lot to bring that up. We can, can and will do a lot more. Uh, and how do you expect this finally, Alison, to kind of play out in the coming months? Do you think it's going to be you know, as divisive as maybe the government may be concerned well, about when yeah. they're talking, you know, initially that we don't want to see this hijacked and we want... Uh, A very want positive be... thing, uh, Claire, is that we have the Referendum Commission now. Uh, and this will be the first referendum. Mm. And the chair of that, Arthur Leary, has made clear that he wanted a good lead in time. And I think they will feel now that they that it's it's, it's reasonable in terms of being able to prepare and, um, and uh, com- the proper communication so people will understand exactly what they're voting on. But um, I would be very surprised to be sitting here uh, in March and not be th- not to be having a discussion about how heated the debate was. All right, there, we will leave that for now. Coming up as COP28 continues, we ask why over 2,400 fossil fuel lobbyists have been granted access to the climate summit. Welcome back. Today Mark day six of the COP28 conference in the United Arab Emirates, but with a record number of oil and gas lobbyists attending, is this just a woodstock for the fossil fuel industry? Finnegale's Neil Richmond, Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly and journalists Alison O'Connor and Daniel Murray have stayed on with me to talk about this. And Daniel, um, yeah, a lot of criticism being um, levelled, I suppose, at the, the UAE's management of this particular conference. And that number, it's quite staggering, isn't it? 2,400 lobbyists um, at a climate conference. 
Whatever are they doing there? Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, you can guess uh, what they're doing there. They're, they're trying to influence uh, the important policy that could be uh, shaped there to try and phase out fossil fuels altogether. Um, but unfortunately, the presence of fossil fuel uh, entities at the COP conferences is nothing new, uh, even though the United Arab Emirates is a petrostate itself um, uh, hosting the event um, this year. Um, over the years, the, I, I've been to a couple of conferences. You can go to events from Monday to Friday hosted by different uh, oil companies uh, on a variety of different issues, normally to do with kind of um, minor technologies, uh, uh, green fuels uh, uh, that they think will be able to be scaled up in the future or carbon capture and storage, which is another big issue being debated at, at this year's COP. So um, look, it's concerning. It shows the access uh, that, that, that these uh, executives uh, have. Um, I mean, some would say, is it better that they're in the room? Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> arguably, except that they're probably exerting an influence and watering mm -hmm. down language uh, ultimately yeah. at the end of these processes. I mean, we've been arguing for a couple of years now around the semantics of phase down versus phase out um, fossil fuels. And in some ways, you know, arguing over such a minor point like that maybe shows you that the entire conference has kind of run its course a bit as well. Yeah, and yes, Neil Richmond, we had criticism levelled at Leo Radker, you know, on the on his language around this, talking about decreasing our use of fossil fuels, not advocating, uh, advocating a phase out. Why not? Well, I think ultimately we will get to a phase out, but to get there you need to decrease and we're not in a position... And can he not, can he not say phase out? Well, I think we're going to get, again, we'll lose ourselves in semantics of language. We all know we need to decrease and ultimately phase out the use of fossil fuels. Mm. Um, we need to do it urgently. And COP, you know, I think it wasn't this COP, the previous one in Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt, there was nearly the exact same amount of fossil fuel lobbyists there. One no, no, year, there's four times more. Four times more than Sharm El Sheikh. That was a new record then at the time. Mm. It was huge and it mm. is growing and that is a massive concern. But the one thing I will say about it... How it big is, an influence does it have here? doesn't have that much of an influence here, thankfully, because we don't have a massive fossil fuel generating uh, sector like we would in other countries or countries that are built yeah, upon... I suppose I'm thinking of the, even the agriculture sector, which, which relies hugely on fossil fuels. Um, you know, the aviation sector, the sectors that rely on fossil fuels and what they want the government do, to do for them. Yeah, but certainly the agriculture has a huge influence, but they're a huge part of making sure we meet our climate targets. And that's why we need to engage with them and bring along the manufacturing sector, the agriculture, the transport sector. And for all its Ill ills and for all the faults about COP26 and the serious concern, it's the only, part, the only thing happening in the world where we can get all the countries together to make some progress and try and get some agreement and indeed put money like we've seen this week uh, together. But it's interesting when you're talking about engagement with, with, with lobby groups, um, and you mentioned there that what you end up is with something being diluted. Alison, do you think that's, you know, what we also see here in our climate conversation with the power of the lobby group? Of course, because, I mean, it, um, Neil is saying there that it's semantics, but when you see all these climate records that have been absolutely smashed this year in terms of the world being on fire, semantics and words are really important. So that I think what the Taoiseach said at the weekend about uh, phasing phasing that phrase, wasn't that the phrase he used, that phasing out fossil fuels, that is important. And it's always that sort of on the mayor other, the never, never, and we're going to have technology. Like, when is that technology? He was asked, I remember, in the, the doorstep of journalists about, uh, you know, that it could take 10 years. And he said, well, we'll still be fighting this in 10 years time. And you're thinking, 
I don't want to be waiting, you know, with everything that we've seen over the last year. And you do worry that no more than the, okay, there's that many lobbyists there, but we also have lobbyists here. And we do see that within Fine Gael in terms of the agriculture mm-hmm. lobby. And I think we see that the, the IFA are, are absolutely sort of tigerish and frequently, in my opinion, over the top and counterproductive for their own um, for their own cause. And um, it is disappointing. I mean, I think Eamon Ryan is out there, uh, I would imagine, very much looking um, for the end of fossil fuel fuels. And yet you have this um, different sort of language coming from the Taoiseach. Yeah, and I, I wonder about the language as well that's coming from Sinn Féin on it, Louise. Does the party believe that cutting fossil fuels will hurt the working person? and uh, hurt the farmer. We do hear that consistently from Sinn Féin being against carbon um, credits and um, or the carbon tax that we're seeing. You do take Mm. that stance that, you know, even I suppose uh, when tolls are increased, as we've seen today, which was coming into force in a month's time, Mm -hmm. that this is going to hit people in the pocket. And I suppose we uh, represent people who are very much at the business end of the cost of living crisis that people are experiencing at the moment. And what we say is in terms of increasing the tolls, just for an example, what the government should be doing is ensuring that people have an alternative. People don't get into their car in the morning to spend an hour and a half on the M1 because that's what they want to. They do that because they have no other okay. way to get to but work. But we're just to- we're talking about lobbying and everything here and I suppose the conversation we're having and the ambition that we may have, you want to see a reduction in, say, petrol and diesel prices. We want to see a reduction in petrol and diesel usage as well with a replacement for alternatives. So that has to be public transport. But if you have no choice, you have to put diesel in your car. I mean, this is simply a fact. You have to get your kids to school. You have to get yourself to work. What we want to see is more ambition from this government in terms of public transport investment, in terms of actually rolling out buses to ensure that people can get to where they're going without having to use their And I'm wondering about that conversation that's being had in the UK, being led by Rishi Sunak, that it's sort of this climate conversation is sort of elitist, that what you're doing is that, you know, those who can't afford it have to pay have to pay for it. Yes, but when, and does Sinn Féin believe that too? When we talk about things like retrofitting, Sinn Féin says we need to start with the coldest and the poorest homes first, that we need to ensure that those people okay. who are in uh, county council, local authority housing, people in uh, rented accommodation, that those people who cannot okay. afford to retrofit their houses get some assistance with that. Absolutely, we would make no apologies for that. And I think anybody who understands climate justice knows that you have to ensure that those people who are at the business end are afforded some kind of support from the governments to be able to make the change come from the assumption that everyone wants to make the change we all want to do our best but some communities need more support okay um would you uh, concur with that uh, neil very briefly that's why we are investing record amount of money in terms of retrofitting public homes and indeed building up a lot more public transport all right we will continue that conversation for sure but that is all we have time for for now my thanks to neil to louise allison and daniel from all the late team here good night take care When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.